Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 reads, And everyone that practices sin, they also practice lawlessness, for it says sin is lawlessness. You know that Christ appeared to take away sins. And in him, how much sin is in Christ? None. There's no sin in him. In fact, that was a requirement of the law that there would be a perfect lamb to shed its blood for the sacrifice of sin. It had to be a perfect lamb, no blemish, spotless. And that's what Christ came to be for us. That's why John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God that covers the sins of the world, right? No, he didn't say covers. What did he say? Takes away. He came to take away our sin. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I hear this message, I mean, I've heard the message of Christ taking away my sin for a few years now. I never get tired of the idea that he takes away. How many sins? All of them. Does anyone here besides me get excited about the idea that he takes away all of your sin? He doesn't just go, well, I'll forgive it, but I'm never going to forget. Does he do that, by the way? I forgive, but I, no, he doesn't. In fact, the, the psalmist says he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. I love what Jesus does for people. You know, sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves. Even if, you know, we ask God to forgive us, maybe we sinned against somebody, we ask them to forgive us. We're all, you know, forgive me. And they're going, okay, don't worry about it, brother. It's fine. We all blow it, you know. And they let it go. But you know what? Sometimes we're the worst it's with ourselves. We keep kicking ourselves. Man, I can't believe I did that. And we condemn ourselves. And today, in this chapter, there is a verse that says what God has to say about that. When it comes to our hearts condemning us, some of you might already know verse 20 of this chapter. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, right? Does he condemn you? for your sin? Now, now why did Jesus come to take away our sin? How much condemnation, according to Romans 12, it says in uh, verse 1, how much condemnation is there for someone who believes in Christ Jesus? Just a little, right? No, none. There is no condemnation for you when you're in Christ Jesus. None. Christ didn't come to condemn you. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Is that a good message to learn? Christ came to save us from our sin. He came to free us. The Bible says, who the Son has set free is free indeed. When Christ frees you from your sin, when he takes away your sin, it's done. And this is really important because I see so many folks struggling and in their lives, they're like stuck, paralyzed. Something they did or something that happened, they struggle with, they can't let go. Do you know anyone that's like, I call them frozen I don't know. It's like a paralysis. They can't move forward in life because something is holding them back. And though we don't quantify it in the physical realm, can fear keep you from moving forward? Can guilt about something that you've, you blew it in some area? There, there are some guys that they are stuck because they have guilt of some shameful thing they did and they can't seem to move forward. By the way, the devil loves to wave it over you. If you blow it, God doesn't condemn you, but the devil does. And that jerk 
I, mean, I can call him a jerk. He has a moniker that the Bible tells us that Lucifer wears. It's called the father of all lies. He's a liar. And a liar doesn't care whether there's a truth or not. A liar will just make up stuff to make you feel bad. That rascal, the Bible tells us in Revelation that he stands before God day and night and he accuses the brethren and he's up there going, did you see what is he did? You blow it in the littlest way. He's like, aha, point the finger, gotcha. Because he's the condemner, not Jesus. Somebody needs to teach it like it says in the book. Christ came to set you free from your sin, not to condemn you. Now, how do you know whether someone is walking upright or not? Jesus said, you know by the fruit, right? You shall know them by their fruits. He was talking about fruits of the Spirit, the disciplines that God's Spirit gives us. Listen to this. Now you know, verse 5, he appeared to take away sins. In him there is no sin, and no one who abides in him, that means remains in Jesus, no one who remains in Jesus sins. It says no one who sins has seen him or knows him. The little children, he says, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin, he says, he's of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. And the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And no one who's born of God practices sin. Now, this is the practicing of sin. That doesn't mean anyone born of God, does that mean that you never sin? No, we still slip up. There's a difference between slipping up and intentionally continuing to sin. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says, will there be a sacrifice? It's asked in a rhetorical form in Hebrew. Is there really a sacrifice if I keep continuing to sin willfully? Like, should I continue to sin? What's Romans 6 tell us? Shall we continue to sin that grace might abound? What's the answer? May it never be. God forbid. Don't ever persist to continue practicing sin just to say, well, it's okay. It'll just show off how much extra grace God has for forgiving me. He says, the one who practices sin is of not our heavenly father, of that demonic father, the devil. He's of the devil. And Christ says, the son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now, no one who's born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, he says, the children of the devil and the children of God, they're obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love. This is a clue. How do I know if someone really is of God? If he doesn't practice his righteousness, it says, and if he does not love his brother. You know, if you say, I love God, but you don't love your brother. What did Jesus have to say about that? Is that really doable with God's economy? Does he like us to say, yes, I love God, but I hate that guy? No. God so loved the world, he gave his son for all of us. And we don't get to say, I love God, but I hate my brother. In fact, you got to forgive your brother. And I saw on Facebook, someone sent me a post where they said, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? Up to seven? I said, not seven, up to seven times 70. And they, and they went, I don't know which is harder, the spiritual truth or the math. And by the way, is that 490 times in their lifetime? That's a day. So if you really want to do some fun math, figure how many hours of the day are they awake to sin against you? What, 
12. If they, they go long day, 14 hours, right? Divide that into 490 and figure out how many times it works out to where it's, it's more than one a minute of daylight wake time to sin against your brother. He's like this. Hey, brother. Smack. Sorry, sin against you. Forgive me. Okay, ready? Smack. Just, just keep going and keep going and keep going. And it's very hard for us to fathom that kind of forgiveness that would just continue all day long. But Jesus is making a point. How much do we need to forgive? By the way, I'm preparing my message. In between, I'm scanning Facebook. Someone said, I'm trying to send you a message. I'm looking for it. And I get another post, and it was a testimony of a Muslim. Sorry, a man who was captured by the Muslims, held hostage. He was with a YWAM. It was on the YWAM's post. And he was captured, and he was beaten each day. And so during his imprisonment there, he began to pray, and God said to him, you have to love your enemies. You know, it's easy to love your friends, but not so easy to love your enemies, especially the guy that was interrogating him and beating him every day. And so he prayed, and the Lord said, I want you to love this man that's, that's interrogating you. So the guy came in to beat him the next day, and he said, look, sir, you're going to be beating on me every day. Could I at least know your name? You know, we should know each other's names. And the guy said, what? He said, well, I figure we, we should be friends. I mean, you're going to have to hit on me every day. We might as well get to know each other. Does that sound kooky to you to say to your captor who's beating you? We should at least be friends, and, and I'm praying for you. And the guy, something snapped in him. He told him his name, and he goes, well, we're not supposed to tell you our name. You know, this is a first-name basis kind of thing we do here. So, well, you're beating on me. We should at least know each other. My name is, and he tells him his name, and they exchanged names. And, and he says, and they became friends, and he actually led him to Christ. It's easy to love the people that are lovely, but to love your enemy, to pray for those that says that persecute you, is a living today. This is, by the way, this did not go on 100 years back or 1,000 years back. This just happened. He just got released. Do we have Christians being persecuted for the gospel today? We have such freedom, guys, to sit on a beach in Hawaii and talk about the Lord. Because in some countries, this is illegal. You'd be arrested. You'd be beaten for just sitting here. You'd have your hands cut just for opening this book. It's a dreadful post of a Christian that had their hand just sliced open. Just cut, 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 cut for opening their Bible in the Middle East. There are people that hate the message of this book. But how do I know which ones know God? Well, it says here, the ones that practice righteousness and love their brother. If they don't love their brother, they don't practice righteousness. You tell me, how hard is that one to figure out? Do they follow God? No. And John knew there's people that are going to ask this question. How do I know if someone follows God? Well, look, if they love their brother and they do what's righteous... Righteous means right in God's sight. Righteous doesn't mean right in a social, moral kind of sense. Righteous means what would be right to do before God. If a man does what's right before God and loves his brother, you got your answer. Does he know the Lord? Yeah. It's really simple. And if he doesn't do those things, if he walks in unrighteousness, he practices sin, then he's not really, he's not doing the things that, indicate 
he is born of God. Now, this is the message, verse 11 says, which we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Interesting, as Cain did, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? It says, because his deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, then if the world hates you. Now, turn with me to Genesis, if you don't mind, real quick. I want to show you, they had, one was doing what was right in God's sight, and the other was not. This story, it's interesting because this is the reference that John uses to say, love your brother not like Cain did to Abel. Sometimes the best way to explain what not to do is look at somebody who did the wrong thing and say, don't do that. Because this is the story of don't do this. In all sincerity, do not do this. In fact, learn from this story. We find this written for us, recorded in Genesis chapter 4. It starts off, it says, Now, when the man had relations with his wife Eve, it says she conceived, she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord, like my gift from God. So she named him Cain. Now, again, she gave birth to his brother, Habel, or Abel, and he was the keeper of the flocks. But Cain, it says, the gotten one, was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer, like dad. Remember, Adam was put in the garden, and his job was to be the keeper of the garden. Now, by the way, they've been kicked out of the garden, remember, because of sin. So they're outside the garden, but Cain is following Adam's example. He's tilling the ground. He's working the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord, and his offering was from the fruit of the ground. Okay, He brought stuff that had grown from the ground to God. Habel, Abel, on his part, it says, he also brought an offering, but his offering was the firstlings of his flock. And he set their fat portions before the Lord, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. Now you say, well, why did God want this specific offering of the flock? Remember what it says in Hebrews. Every scripture, it testifies of who? Who is written of in the volume of the book? Jesus. From the very beginning, the very first story of the first acceptable offering given to God. Did God want the fruit of the ground? No. Why do you think from the beginning he wanted to set up this precedent that there was going to have to be an offering from the flock? It's all a foreshadow of Jesus, the Lamb of God, what will take away the sins. This is from the beginning. God said, this is what I require. You want to give me an offering? Bring it from the flock. Bring me from the Lamb, not from the fruit of the ground. That's not the acceptable offering for sin. Well, Abel brought the firstlings of the flock to the Lord, and Cain brought his little basket of fruit. And he goes to give it to the Lord, and the Lord says, um, I don't want that offering, Cain. And Cain, it says, became very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, this is really important here, guys, because it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And you know what the Lord said to him in that state? He said, listen, Cain, 
If you do what is right, if you do well, he says, will not your countenance be lifted up? You know, sometimes people are cranky because they're doing wrong. And they need someone to come along and say, stop that. Just do what's right. You'll feel so much better about yourself. Have you ever been stuck doing something wrong? You inside already know, I don't feel good about this. And you keep doing it, you feel even worse. And pretty soon without realizing, you've turned into cranky pants. And everyone's just looking at you like, what's your problem, man? I've got no problem. Yeah, you do. Your countenance has fallen. And if you want your countenance to be lifted up, all you have to do is start doing what's right. It's amazing the change I see in people when I just give them this little encouragement. Bible calls it an exhortation. Exhortation means encourage you to do what's right. I'm going to just encourage you, stop doing what's wrong and do what's right. Watch what happens to you. Will it change you? Will it change your countenance at all? Sure it will. People can see it. They, they're like, wow, that person just glows. Because when you start doing right, by the way, how do you feel about yourself when you do that? It's like, this is working. Because we are designed to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. We're designed to love one another. I mean, God made us that we would love one. He made us to where we need love. His love. But we don't just need his love to come to us, but we need his love to flow through us to others. Because there's something that brings a life to our spirit when his love is part of our lives. Now listen to the words of the Lord. This is God speaking to me. He says, verse 7, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, what will happen? He said, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you. He says, but you must master it. Has anyone ever felt like sin is crouching at your door? I don't know about you, but I'm really glad this is in the Bible. This is like, we're only into chapter 4 of Genesis here. We're like in the very beginning book. And we already see the struggle of doing what's right or falling into that thing that is crouching at the door to do what's wrong. Now, you guys read the story, right? What's Cain wind up doing? Does he do well? Does he go get a, his brother and say, hey, Bell, I know you're my little brother, but could I get a lamb too? I need to give what God asks. No. He could have, right? You know, older brothers, they don't like to ask younger brothers for any. He would have had to go get a hand-me-up. Can I get one of your, uh, yeah, your flock so I can give God what he asks? He didn't want to do it. Instead, what did he do in the Bible? His countenance fell, and Cain told Abel, his brother, yeah, God told me do what's right. You know, don't give him what I want to give him, give him what he wants. By the way, is that a good spiritual lesson? Am I supposed to give God what I want to give him? Or am I supposed to give him what he requires? There's a verse in the Bible that says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's God's already shown men what, what he requires. Do what is just, just in his sight. Love mercy and walk humbly. That's what he's shown us to do. Now, did Cain want to do it? It says he went and talked to his brother. Yeah, I know. I'm supposed to do this. 
But it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And the Lord then came and said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Oh my gosh, his oldest line ever. When somebody sins, how many times have they come up with, well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Do I have to keep track of him? You do when you kill them. Now, God knew where he was. But he's trying to get Cain to make a confession of his sin. Then the Lord said to him, what have you done? He's given him a chance to come clean. He said, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, if you're God, can you hear the voice of the blood crying? You're God. Sure. You hear anything. His understanding is so far beyond ours. I mean, if you can't receive this, just pretend like you're on NCIS and Ducky comes in and waves his little wand and yeah, there's some blood splattered there and then over there. and they must have been drug over here and Denose was over there snapping pictures. And if we can figure out through forensic science just that the pattern of some crime that took place as someone was slain, do you think God couldn't be beyond our understanding and say, his blood is crying to me? The voice of your brother is crying from his blood right there. On the ground. He said, Now you are cursed from the ground. That which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand, when you cultivate the ground, no longer will it yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. He said, Behold, you've driven me away this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. I really love this story. By the way, how many folks we have wandering on the planet right now? Adam, then Eve. They had a boy, Cain, and a brother, Havel. And this brother, he sinned. He killed his brother. One thing I find really interesting is paranoia sets in when you do wrong. He's paranoid that someone's going to find him and harm him. But who says there's anyone else on the planet yet? By the way, paranoia does not need rational thinking. The Bible says that when you do what is wrong, the, the unrighteous, it says they flee when no one's pursuing them. But when you're doing what's not right, you flee. Because you have a guilty conscience. He is starting to get the guilt. All he would have had to done is gone and asked his brother, been humble, and said, I need one of your flock. Here, I'll give you the fruit. I got to give God what he asks. But he didn't do it. And he goes down as the example now, what we see in 1 John, when John says, we need to love our brother, not like Cain, who didn't love his brother. He would have loved his brother. He wouldn't have killed his brother over this. He would just ask for a lamb so he could have made a right offering. But there was a heart condition in Cain. I suspect he had pride. Older brother pride. I'm too proud to ask my little brother for something. I don't want to go there. Whatever his problem was, he just didn't want to do what's right. 
it's a sad thing that our whole being gets changed when we adopt his attitude. Where we become stubborn and prideful. And, you know, I know God wants me to go take care and help that person, but I don't want to do it. You're like, why? Well, I have to humble myself and put them first. Did Jesus humble himself and put us first? Yeah. Turn back with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. And he who does not love abides in death. Now, abide means remains. If you remain in life, you will remain in the love of God. And God's love will remain in you. But you know what? Everyone that hates his brother, verse 15 says in 1 John 3, he is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.